Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, bringing you yet again two more lesser-known, but still entertaining radio series. So without further ado, this is Terror Radio. Now the two shows featured tonight are Murder at Midnight and Cabin B-13. Murder at Midnight was a syndicated radio series based out of New York, and it ran from 1946 to 1947. It was directed by Anton M. Leader, and it was hosted by Raymond Morgan, who was a former Long Island minister before he chose a career in broadcasting. The radio play tonight is entitled Ace of Death, and it first broadcasted on July 28th in 1946, and it's an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's, Stevenson's, excuse me, The Suicide Club. So you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Ace of Death. Card, Mr. Thompson. The, uh, the King of Hearts. Colonel Moore. The Five of Clubs, Mr. President. Count Rizzini. Come, Count, we are waiting. What is your card? Lasso di Spada. I beg your pardon? The Ace of Death. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Ace of Death. Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story, based on Robert Louis Stevenson's immortal suicide club, is by Max Ehrlich. Its title, The Ace of Death. I stood there on the bridge and stared down into the swirling fog. It hid the river like a white shroud. I shivered be cold down there, freezing cold. I would go down, down, deep into the black, watery depths, my ears bursting and my lungs fighting for breath. And then, finally, there would be silence. Silence. And eternal peace. 
Somewhere, a clock began to chime eleven. The last hour. The last hour of a man's life. My life. I, John Evans, ill and broke without family or friends. Sick and weary of the constant struggle among earthbound mortals. Looked forward to my new future. Death. I put one foot over the bridge rail... My heart pounded. My head throbbed. And then someone came out of the mist and seized me from behind. No, no, no you fools. Don't yes, do it. Not no, this way. Let no. me go. Let me go no, while I still got the courage. hear what I've got to say. Why did you stop me? Why? I wanted to die. I wanted to. I sympathize with you, young man. You see, I too am tired of life and, and seek death. You? You want to die? Yes, but not by drowning. No, my boy. I've made other arrangements. The river is not only a dull way to die, it's positively sordid. The very idea makes me shudder with distaste. Wait, I, I don't understand. It's I... very simple, young man. Now, most of us are too commonplace about the about the hereafter. We enter it with, with morbid fear and without imagination. Actually, death can be glorious. Glorious? Yes, a great new change from our ordinary lifetime routine. A journey into an uncharted world. A man should meet death on the wings of adventure. It should be an exciting and delightful experience. Death? Exciting and delightful? Why not? I've already arranged my decease along these lines. And since you and I have an interest in common, why not join me? Huh? We'll seek death's private door together. Come, young man. Come along with me. Where? To my club. I'll be glad to recommend you for membership. Your club? Yes. It caters to a clientele of gentlemen like ourselves. We call it... The Hereafter Club. The whole thing was mad, insane. And yet... Yet it was intriguing, too. I looked hard at the elderly gentleman who'd come out of the fog to pull me from the brink of death, only to offer me a pleasanter and more delightful variety later. He repeated his invitation to join him, and I could see that he was perfectly sincere. I decided to go with him even though I secretly considered him some kind of a madman. After all, what could I lose now? We took a cab and stopped at a grim-looking building in the Silk Stocking District on the east side. My elderly friend, whom I now knew as Frederick Whitney, took me into a luxurious reception room and asked me to wait there until he saw the president of the club. Finally, the president himself came out to greet me. He was a man of about 50 with a bald spot on his head, piercing gray eyes and a thin mouth. He smiled and extended his hand to me. Welcome to the Hereafter Club, Mr. Evans. Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. Whitney has recommended you very highly, and I'm delighted to count you among our members. I am pretty vague as to... What all this is about, but Mr. Whitney mentioned something about a $400 initiation fee, and, well, I'm tut, afraid tut, I... Tut, my boy, Mr. Whitney knew you were in delicate financial straits and took your initiation fee upon himself. Oh. You were fortunate indeed, Mr. Evans, that he happened along and rescued you from the river. Such a morbid way of entering the hereafter would have been tragic indeed. <laughs> Isn't death in any form 
Uh, tragic? By no means, Mr. Evans. Death can be a triumph, a fine, heady wine, when so designed by a connoisseur. Come, Mr. Evans, follow me. You are about to embark on an exciting and unforgettable experience. Like a man in a dream, I followed the president into a large room... There was a green, baize table in the center of it, and several men in evening dress lounged around the room, drinking champagne. They seemed nervous and distraught. And when they laughed, it was high-pitched and too loud. They seemed to be waiting for something to happen, some event to begin. As the president and I stood at the door, he turned to me and smiled. These men, Mr. Evans, are charter members of the Hereafter Club. They come from all walks of life, but they have one common desire, death. I see. And uh, what happens now? Our procedure is very simple. We all play a game of cards. A game of cards? A simple but fascinating game of cards. That is, these gentlemen play. As president of the Hereafter Club, I am the dealer. And uh, what is the game? Each man draws a card and turns it face up. The man who is fortunate enough to draw the ace of spades dies. For this is the card of death. And uh, how does he die? By the hand of the man who draws the ace of clubs. Oh, I see. The ace of clubs eliminates the ace of spades. <laughs> Precisely. I... How many of these games do you play a night? Just one. But as you can see, Mr. Evans, during its course, a man can live a lifetime of adventure. For this makes of death an exciting game of chance, a game to whip the blood and make the pulses race. You see, one never knows whether he will draw the fatal ace of spades tonight or whether he will survive for weeks or even months. A question, Mr. President. Yes? How much of this can a man stand? I can only answer in this way, Mr. Evans. Our members always come back to the Hereafter Club night after night until they draw the ace of spades. Once a devotee of the game, it's impossible to resist. <sighs> now, but come, we're ready to begin. In a kind of hypnotic trance, I followed the president into the room. But when the members saw him, their conversation stopped suddenly. They put down their champagne glasses, straightened. Their faces grew pale and tense. Their eyes... Brilliant with a mixture of fear and anticipation. The president took a fresh pack of cards from his pocket, and like a magnet attracting iron filings, the men drew close to the baize-covered table. I found myself standing next to Frederick Whitney as the president spoke. Gentlemen of the Hereafter Club, the game is about to begin. Someone here tonight will draw the ace of spades. Whoever he is, let me assure him that we will arrange his death so that it will appear to be an accident with no breath of scandal and with no unnecessary anguish to his family. We all know that life is only a stage to play the fool upon, as long as the part amuses us. Now we are wearied of our daily performance and have chosen a civilized and exciting way to quit that stage. Gentlemen, the deal. <laughs> It was a fantastic, weird, monstrous experience. 
The green baize table, the president puffing on his cigar and dealing a card to each man face down. Each man his face like a graven image turning his card up. I, I could feel the sweat pouring down my forehead. My heart pounded like a hammer, and next to me, Frederick Whitney stood rigid, his eyes shining as the president's voice droned on. Mr. Thompson, your card. They're here. The three of diamonds. Colonel Moore. The six of hearts. Mr. Denison. It's... it's the jack of spades. Count Rizzini. The eight of clubs. Mr. Evans. Our new member. The... The, <coughs> the queen of hearts. <laughs> Mr. Whitney. Uh, Mr. Whitney, what is your card? The... the ace of clubs. Well, Mr. Whitney, congratulations. You shall be the official agent for tonight. Now let us see whom you will guide into the hereafter. Frederick Whitney left the game and went directly into President's private office. There was only one card to be drawn now, the ace of death. The tension was almost unbearable. I felt like running away from that table, screaming at the top of my voice, but I didn't. I only stood there, riveted, staring at those cards, listening to the president's hypnotic voice. Mr. Benedict. The tray of spades. Mr. Wallace. Nine of diamonds. Mr. Thompson. The uh, king of hearts. Colonel Moore. Your card. The five of clubs. Count Rizzini. Count Rizzini, we are waiting. What is your card? Lasso di Spada. I beg your pardon. The Ace of Death. <laughs> I stumbled from that horrible place into the cold night air. I went directly to my room, shaken to the core at what I had seen. In the cold, gray light of the morning, it took on the aspect of a bad dream. A macabre nightmare. I resolved to shrug it off, forget the whole thing. But when I bought a newspaper... The headline struck me like the blow of a hammer. Quickly, my heart beating wildly, I read the lead paragraph. Count Pietro Rizzini, prominent Italian nobleman, was hit and instantly killed at midnight when he stepped off the curb into the path of a speeding taxicab. The Count, who had recently lost his fortune, was with a friend, Mr. Frederick Whitney, when the unfortunate accident occurred. And so, in the darkness of the night, a man who has played a grim game and lost goes to his death as the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! At midnight! Here is John Evans again to continue his story. Yes, the Hereafter Club was really a murder club. A racket conceived and created by the polished gentleman who called himself the president. He made a game of death and grew rich on it. For each night, although he lost a member, he made $400, the member's initiation fee. And as the members dropped out, according to Hoyle... There were always plenty of disillusioned neophytes like myself ready to replace them. 
My first impulse after reading that grisly newspaper announcement was to run to the police. But I had pledged my word to secrecy. And besides, besides, I wanted to go back. I had to go back. The thrill of the game was in my blood. I fought to resist it, but it was like a hypnotic drug. Time after time, I went back to the green baize table, and then one night... Your card, Mr. Whitney? Come, sir, what is your card? The Ace of Spades. Now, my friend, Frederick Whitney, the man who'd introduced me into the Hereafter Club, had drawn the Ace of Death. His string had run out in his throat. I stared at him. He was calm, and there was a half-smile on his face. He seemed almost glad that for him the game was over. The president kept on dealing. Mr. Thompson, your card? The uh, Jack of Hearts. Colonel Moore, the Fool of Speech. Mr. Denison, the the Ace of Diamonds. Mr. Benedict, Ten of Clubs. Mr. Evans. They were waiting for me. Come, come, Mr. Evans. Your card? The Ace of Clubs. Congratulations, Mr. Evans. Only your sixth evening at our club, and you draw a winning card. Now, if you'll join Mr. Whitney and myself in my private office, we'll arrange the details. The instructions were simple. I was to drive Mr. Whitney into the garage of his home... Leave him in the car with the motor running. That was all. And so without a word, I got behind the wheel and drove my elderly benefactor to the appointed place. We looked at each other there in the garage, and then he said... John, if anyone had to draw the ace of clubs, I'm glad it was you. No, Mr. Whitney, look here. I I don't want to kill you. I, you know I don't. Let's end this farce. Let's go to the police and end this monstrous thing. No, John. You forget I, I'm a murderer. I have already killed. I'd rather die by carbon monoxide gas in this comparatively painless way than in the electric chair. But the police will never know that you were responsible for Rizzini's death. If we expose the hereafter club, the president would be sure to tell him. There death. must be a way no. somehow. No, my boy. I have chosen death. My time has come. In a way, I'm glad <laughs> everything is resolved. There is no more waiting. Waiting for the fatal card. Now, it's over now. <coughs> go. Go, my boy. Leave the garage. Slam the door. No, no, Mr. Whitney. <coughs> for God's sake, turn off the motor before... Go. Go, John, before it's too late. Hurry. Don't worry about me. I have sought death for weeks. Now I welcome it. Meet it gladly. I staggered to the garage door, went out and slammed it shut. I heard the motor still going. Five minutes. Ten minutes. I knew that it was the end now for Frederick Whitney. I looked at my luminescent watch. It was just midnight. I walked the streets for hours after that. Now I was a murderer. True, I had killed with my victim's consent, but I had killed. Now, as the dawn came, I began to shake with a cold rage against the connoisseur of death who called himself the president. 
Men killed. Men died, and he profited without risk. He always dealt the game and never participated. He was a prince of ruin. And unfortunate men like myself could not resist what he had to offer. And so, like a smiling Satan in formal clothes, exerting a demoniac spell upon the fools who played his game, he watched them destroy each other. That night, I went to the Hereafter Club, and just before the game confronted him... Ah, good evening, Mr. Evans. I see you are back again tonight. Yes, Mr. President, I'm back again. And I want to congratulate you... Indeed? On what? On your financial vision in starting this club... By simple mathematics, it nets you a handsome profit. We play five evenings a week, and each evening you make $400. That, Mr. President, adds up to $2,000 a week. Yes, it's a tidy sum, Mr. Evans, to be sure. But to tell you the truth, tonight we play our last game. Our last game? Yes, to be frank with you, Mr. Evans, the sport of the game is beginning to pall on me. I've decided to retire to the country and pursue the delights of horticulture. Flowers are my hobby, you know. Oh, I see. Even you can tire of sending men to their deaths. And just what do you mean by that, Mr. Evans? I mean that you are a coward, Mr. President. You have created a monstrous game, and yet you haven't the courage to play it yourself. You question my courage, then, Mr. Evans? I do, and I question your honor, too. It seems to me that if you profit by your clients, you should take the same risk they do. Hmm. You are a very impertinent young man, but I cannot let your accusations go without rebuttal. Indeed, it might be an interesting experience to play this last game myself. A kind of fitting climax to a successful career. Of course, Mr. Evans, I'll demand a handsome apology when it's over. You don't mean that you are actually going to take a chance. Yes, why not? I've often been intrigued by the excitement of my clients. Now, I might as well savor that excitement myself. Before I close the Hereafter Club... president was going to play created a sensation among the members. He dealt around, and then another, and the third time around, for the second night in a row, I drew the murder card, the ace of clubs. The president smiled his congratulations at what he called my phenomenal luck, and continued. Mr. Thompson, your card? The uh, two spades. Colonel Moore? The king of hearts. Mr. Dennison? The... Seven of clubs. Mr. Benedict. Queen of diamonds. And now, gentlemen, I'll turn over my own card. <gasps> Congratulations, Mr. President. You have drawn the ace of spades. The President's face was immobile. Not an eyelash flickered. We went into his private office, and his words were calm as he explained the evening's arrangements. I had drawn the murder card and he had drawn the death card. Yet, judging by his unworried attitude and serene bearing, it might have been the other way around. I couldn't help a flicker of admiration for him. As for me, I was eager to do my part. To kill this man who had been caught at the last moment in his own net. He had sent many a man to his death. And now he had to meet it himself. There is a railroad bridge on the outskirts of town, Mr. Evans. It has a low railing, and below it an express train passes, exactly at midnight. You will push me over that rail into the path of the locomotive. 
And now, if you're ready, let us go. We didn't speak on the trip out to the bridge. It was a cold night. We stood there, shivering and waiting. Finally, in the distance... was it. The midnight train. I could see its bright headlight flickering as it approached. Then the president spoke. Mr. Evans, of course we are not going through with this. Of course we are, Mr. President. Look here, my dear boy. As you know, the Hereafter Club is disbanded. Unlike my clients, I have no desire to die. There's no point in doing so. Well, you are going to die, Mr. President, just as you have sent others. I'll see to it myself. Be reasonable, Mr. Evans. I have everything to live for, and so can you have. Now then, I'm a very wealthy man, and I'm quite sure you could use, say, $10,000. Get close to that rail, Mr. President. I suggest you listen to reason, Mr. Evans. The others died without a whimper. You sent them into the hereafter, and now you're going yourself as you deserve. You're a very stubborn young man, Mr. Evans. Uh, no, drop that gun. Don't. Try to kill me, will you? Well, you got me in the arm, that's all, and now oh, you're going over that trail. Don't, don't, I'll give you anything, anything over you. No, no. no. When the train had passed, I saw what was left of his body on the tracks. Slowly, with dragging footsteps, I walked down the street toward the twin green lights of the police station. Now, like the others, I'm ready for the end. The doors of the police station open and close on the man who trumped the ace of death. The man who now seeks his own dark destiny as the clocks strike twelve for... Murder! At Remember to be with us again when death deals his final hand and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of John Evans was played by Carl Swenson. The president of the Hereafter Club was John Griggs. With music by Bert Berman, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader.
our second feature series is entitled Cabin B-13. And this was a mystery anthology show which debuted on July 5th, 1948 and ended on January 2nd, 1949. It was created by author John Dixon Carr, who some of you may remember as the host of the radio show Murder by Experts. And it was directed by John Deitz. Now, the history of this series was it was actually a radio play written by Carr and it debuted on the suspense radio series on March 16th, 1943. And the story revolved around a newlywed couple on their honeymoon on an ocean liner and the groom disappears. Now, the kicker is when his bride began searching for him, the ship's crew doesn't believe he actually exists and thinks the woman is crazy I might I may even feature this on a bonus episode but anyway after the success of the radio play Carr decided to create a weekly series now the format of this series was basically stories from a journal by a character named Dr. John Fabian who was a surgeon on the luxury liner, I can't pronounce this right, but I'll try, Mara Vania. The character was played by actor Arnold Moss. Now, the episode, excuse me, the story featured today is entitled Sleep of Death, and it first broadcasted on December 26, 1948. So, you know what to do. Sit back. Turn down the lights and listen to Sleep of Death. From his notebooks of the strange and sinister, Dr. Fabian brings you tonight's tale of The Sleep of Death. The circular bedroom, high in a castle tower, hung with rare tapestries, filled with a haunting atmosphere of witchcraft and death. The young American, Ned Whiteford, knew that for 200 years no person who had slept in that room had lived through the night. Whatever it was that killed left no trace. Would you, like Whitefoot, have dared to rest your head there because you were in love? From Cabin B-13, CBS brings you another great tale of mystery and murder. Written by the world-famous best-selling mystery author John Dixon Carr. Directed by John Deep. Now, here's Mr. Carr's famous Dr. Fabian, ship surgeon and world traveler, to tell you tonight's tale, The Sleep of Death. Ned Whitefoot crossed with us to France aboard the Mauritania back in 38. 
He was looking forward to his new position at the American Embassy. He was young, and even war jittery Paris was a magic land to him. It was on St. Catherine's Day that Ned, unknowingly, made a decision that brought him to the threshold of unspeakable terror and death. And he made it in the midst of the gayest celebration Paris knew, the president's costume ball at the opera. Look at Ned now, wearing the uniform of one of Lafayette's officers. Look closely at the dark-haired young girl in costume, sitting across from him at the little table, half-screened by the palm. Ned, don't. Please, you mustn't. Look here, Eliana. We've got to settle this thing. You've enjoyed being here tonight, haven't you? Oh, Ned, I've loved it. After being hemmed in at my uncle's place in the country, it's like heaven. All right. When I take you back to the hotel tonight, I'm going to face this dragon uncle of yours. No. No, you mustn't. I'm going to say that you and I intend to get married, and that's that. I can't marry you, Ned. I told you that. But why not? Give me just one good reason. Because I... I can't. My uncle would never allow it. And that seems to you a good enough reason? Yes. This uncle of yours, what's his name? Count Stephen Kohide. He's a Hungarian, I think you said. Yes, so am I. My mother was an American. What's he like, well, he, he's a little eccentric. He, Ned. What is it? There he is now. Your uncle? Yes. The elegant man in plain evening clothes with the order of the golden fleece across his chest. I see him. He looks as black as a thundercloud. Oh, give me my mask, quick, before he sees it. No, Ileana. Why not? We'd better face this out now. Sit still. Good evening, Ileana. Uh, uh, good evening, Uncle Stephen. Uncle, may I present Ned Whiteford? How do you do, sir? How do you do? Eliana, do you think that costume is quite the thing to wear in public? Why not? An older generation might call it immodest. It looks like... Like what? Nothing. You go and get your cloak or your domino, whatever you wore here. Uncle, please. Do as I say. Don't let me go home so soon. It's hardly 11 o'clock. I was not asking you to go home, my dear. I was merely asking you to put on a wrap. Oh. Oh, All right, I'll get it. You stay and talk to Ned. I shall be delighted. Will you sit down, sir? Thank you. I think there's had quite a gathering at this table. Yes, some friends of mine from the embassy. They're upstairs dancing now. Glasses, glasses. Still more glasses. I was quite an adept one at musical glasses. Yes? Have you ever tried it, young man? No. You take a spoon like this. And? Uh, forgive me, sir. There's something I'd like to ask you. Yes, young man? <laughs> exactly know how to say this, so I'd better say it in the shortest way. I want to marry your niece. Look out, sir. You, you've smashed one of the glasses. Doubtless, a few francs will pay for it. There are other things with a higher value, at least for me. Well, maybe I ought to mention that I'm attached to the American Embassy here. That I have some money of my own and have to support Ileana well. Indeed. I, I only mention that to show, well, that Eliana will be well provided. The ambassador will vouch for me if you'd like to ring him up. I ought to mention 
I have always kept Eliana carefully guarded from the world. Almost too carefully guarded, don't you think? That young man depends on my reason. I'm sorry again. You have known Eliana how long? A week. A week. You would not lose a business partner in a week. Yet you want to marry Eliana a week after you meet her. We know our own minds, sir. And you know more than the wisest men of the world. However, there's one who dearest wishes Eliana's happiness. I hope it is, Count Corey. You doubt what I say? No, sir. Go on. Well, let me make you a counter-proposition. I own a chateau in Touraine, not far from Paris. I know, Eliana told me. And here's my suggestion. Why not come down and visit us for a week or two? Well, that's very decent of you, sir. Not at all. If at the end of that time you are not cured of this infatuation... It's not an infatuation. I, I swear it's not. If at the end of that time you are not cured permanently of this feeling, you may take Eliana with my blessing. Is that fair? It's more than fair, Count Corey. I, I don't know how to thank you. Don't try. There is just one thing, however. Yes, sir? At the Chateau d'Azay, there's a certain bedroom. We call it the tapestry room. Yes. I assure you it will be very interesting to sleep in that room. Why? Is it uh, haunted or anything like that? Not exactly haunted. And now, if you don't mind, I should say good night. I think I can trust you to bring Eliana safely to the hotel. Yes. In the meantime, look there. What is it now? Those screams of our fellow guests pouring down the main staircase. Shapes of nightmare. Shapes of delirium. Insane, dead masks where only the eyes move. Why shouldn't you be terrified, perhaps, if you could look behind those masked gargoyle faces? No, I don't think so. They're only ordinary people like ourselves. That's, uh, you make your mistake. I shall expect you for the weekend. Good night. Good night. Matt. Matt. It's all right, Eliana. You can come out from behind the pond. What was my uncle saying? I couldn't hear. Eliana, it couldn't be better. He's a very decent old boy, actually. And he's invited me to the Chateau d'Arge. Did, did he say anything about the tapestry room? Yes, he asked me if I'd mind sleeping there. And you said? Oh, he said I would, naturally. You mustn't do it, Matt. I won't let you do it. Why the devil not? Because everybody who sleeps in that room dies. Are you serious? Ned, please don't do it. Nonsense. A lot of superstitions about every old house. This isn't a superstition, Ned. It happened once when I was a little girl. A man insisted on sleeping there. They found him dead in the morning. So? How did he die? They don't know. There wasn't a mark on his body. He wasn't shot or stabbed or strangled or poisoned or hurt in any way. He was just dead. Two nights later, in the part of France once called La Touraine, the wind moans down the valley, and rain flickers across the apple trees, and thunder stirs in those haunted hills. to a young man driven in an ancient carriage from the railway station along snake-like roads and leading to 
to what destination? Ahead, a flash of lightning shows the gray walls and conical slate-roofed towers of a chateau set some distance back from the road. Light shines from its narrow windows, dimly seen through the rain. Driver, coachman. Yes, monsieur. Is that the Chateau d'Arday up ahead? Yes, monsieur. I will take you to the very door. If, uh... if what? Why do you cross yourself? If I am permitted. What should stop you? Only fear, monsieur. I am not much afraid. Ish. Ish. What was that? Only the dogs, monsieur. They keep many dogs. Large dogs at the Chateau d'Azay. Those dogs dangerous? They have to fly at anybody who goes to the front door? Mm, I cannot say, monsieur. But uh, I should advise you to make haste. Here's your money. Oh, thank you. Good night, monsieur. And uh, if one so humble as myself may be permitted a word of advice, Yes? Beware of the tapestry room. Thank you, Count Corey. You must be very wet after your long drive. Uh, Go up to the fire and warm yourself. Thank you. One place. Yes, monsieur. Please tell Antoine to take our guest's luggage up to the tapestry room. The tapestry room, monsieur? That is what I said, madame, sir. Yes, monsieur. An odd coincidence, Mr. Whitehorse. Dr. Solomon and I were just discussing the fate of the last person who slept in the tapestry room. This is not good, my friend. This is against my advice. Here, Dr. Solomon Crow. This is not good, I tell you. It is the wrong season of the moon. Moon? But there's no moon tonight. It's raining cats and dogs. Don't talk about dawn, nevertheless. It is the wrong season of the moon. I say no more. Cheerful man, that doctor. Don't do it, Ned. 
I won't be responsible if they make you do it. But look here, Count Corey. What did happen to the last fellow who slept in the tapestry room? Let's not call him a fellow, young man. He was a very stately gentleman. The Bishop of Tours. That was some time ago. Eliana was only 15 years old. But surely she must remember it. I, I remember it. The church said our bishop has no use for superstition. He insisted on sleeping there. I made him as comfortable as possible. He was found dead the next morning with a crucifix still in his hand. Was it poison? There was no poison, monsieur. Here, Dr. Solomon. It's true, Ned. There were just two curious things in connection with the death, Mr. Whitehorse. And the mantelpiece was found burning a stick of incense. Ordinary incense, nothing wrong with it. Yes, sir. And under the dressing table, the police found an empty jar of ointment. Now, come, use your detective with a dead man and some burning incense and an empty jar of ointment. What do you make of that? I don't make anything of it. Is there any reason for this story of death? Reason? Any legend attached to the room or something like that? Yes. There is. Well, sir? We are a very old family, my friend. Old and perhaps a cursed. When certain of my ancestors moved from Hungary to France in the 17th century, they brought certain beliefs with them. The old religion. The old religion? Yes. The cult of Diana. The witch cult, if you prefer. <laughs> now, look here, sir. What we talk about this? Ah, you smile when I say the word witch, Mr. Whitehall. You think of some humorous picture on a Halloween card. It was very different in the Middle Ages, believe me. There were many to worship unashamed at the Grand Sabbath, to receive all favors from Satan, their master, to dance forever joyously in the red quadrilles of the netherworld. Some 200 years ago, an ancestress of mine, Catherine Cohery, was tortured to death in the tapestry room for professing the old religion. Many persons have not thought it safe to sleep there since. Are you answered? Come, sir, this is some kind of elaborate joke. Joke? The Bishop of Tours did not find it a joke. Not a mark on his body. I, I assure you, as a physician, not a mark on his body. You hear, Dr. Solomon? I hear him. Understand me, my boy, there's no compulsion in this. If you have not the nerve to sleep in that room. Who says I haven't got the nerve? You're weakening. I think I can see it in your face. Would you like to make a little bet on that? What sort of bet? If I spend the night in this famous room and come out of it alive... Go on. Will you give your consent to the marriage immediately? Tomorrow morning? Why tomorrow morning? Because I don't think the atmosphere of this place is good for Ileana. What do you say? Will you do it? Very well, my boy. I accept the terms of your wager. Don't do it, Ned. For the love of heaven, don't do it. High up in the north tower of the Chateau d'Azay, under the conical plate roof, is the circular room hung with faded tapestries. These tapestries move slightly with uneasy mimic life to the clamor of the storm outside. Candles burn along the mantelpiece and beside the great four-poster bed. The flames of these candles waver too. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's the door open. This is the tapestry room, monsieur. Thank you, Madame Slay. This is the mantelpiece where the incense burned. That is the bedroom on Senor the Bishop. died. Very inviting, isn't it? Will there be anything else that Monsieur requires? Some sandwiches? A decanter of whiskey? No, thanks. I had a drink with Count Corey before I came upstairs. Very well, Monsieur. Monsieur's shaving water will be brought up in the morning. If he requires it. Good night. Infernal old harpy. Trying to scare a fellow out of his wits just because... Well, there was a good fire anyway. I didn't realize how cold it was. What's that? Goodbye. Ileana. May I come in? No, Ileana. I, I don't want you exposed to whatever it is. Ned, listen. Are you going to bed or are you going to sit up all night? I'm going to sit up all night, naturally. Then let me sit up with you. No. Why not? First, because it may be dangerous. Second, because I promised your uncle I'd go through this alone. Oh, I wish you hadn't had that drink with him. Couldn't have done anything to it. You poured it. Yes, that's true, only. It's only one of the dogs. No. Sounded like somebody walking. Inside the wall of this room. Don't you hear it? By George, it is somebody walking inside the wall. Get behind that tapestry, Liana. Quick. Hurry. All right. Come, Corey. Where did you come from? Forgive me, my boy, for seeming to appear out of the wall and between the tapestries, like Mephisto appearing to Faust. This red dressing gown perhaps adds to the effect. How did you get here? A passage between the walls? Exactly. A little device of my ancestors for visiting this room when its occupants were so unmannerly as to bolt the door. The door is not bolted. You could have walked straight in. But I could not have done it. Unobserved. No, maybe not. Have you had any other visitors, my boy? No. You're sure of that? Quite sure. And since nobody saw me come here, I'll just sit down by the fire. Please sit opposite me. Is this the showdown, sir? I don't understand you. There's got to be a showdown between us. Is that why you're here? I am here, young man, to explain certain things to you. Well, you can have a cigarette. I... I'm not doped. That's what you're afraid of. I'll have one. Yes. Good. Right? Thank you. When I was discussing the witch cult a while ago, you did not appear to think I meant what I said. Do you want a perfectly frank answer to that? Yes. I think you're mad enough to mean anything. What you say, in a sense, is quite true. In an old and inbred family like ours, the mind can crack, and the fantasies of witchcraft become as real, more real, than the living world. Let me give you an example. Go on. The saucer on the table beside you is Ming Porter. It was once owned by Catherine Corley, a martyr of the old religion. Yet you're using it as an ashtray. I beg the witch lady's pardon. I'll... Blow off the ash. A dangerous remark, sir. Don't you understand that to a sick brain which knows but can't help itself, you have profaned this room merely by entering it? Therefore, you deserve to die? Like the Bishop of Tours? Exactly. 
You're not going to tell me the devil killed him. The devil's agent may be flesh and blood. Then it was murder. Of course it was murder. Murder so cunningly contrived that no one ever saw through it. Go on. I asked you before to use your detective wits on this problem. Incense was burned in this room. Why? Suppose you tell me. Obviously, I think to conceal something else which would be too easily noticed. To conceal what? The smell of chloroform. Chloroform? Yes. A drug not well understood by Lena. Dr. Solomon was using chloroform this afternoon to dispose of some dogs. So I've heard. Dr. Solomon is old and forgetful. You mean chloroform could be stolen? It could be, easily. Now suppose, just suppose, I take a pad saturated with chloroform. I place it over the mouth and nostrils of a man already sleeping or drugged so that he gets no other way. Wait a minute. That won't do. Why not? Chloroform burns and blisters when it touches the skin. You'd leave marks. Not at all, my friend. Not at all if I first covered the mouth and nostrils with some substance like... Ointment. Ah. You're waking up. Uh, I... Now observe what follows. In a few seconds, unconscious. In two minutes, three minutes, certain death. Yes. But chloroform, it evaporates. Delay your postmortem for 24 hours. It's a very easy matter in these country districts. And no trace remains in the blood. Murder without a mark, my friend. Murder without a mark. There's just one thing you're forgetting, Count Corey. What's that? I'm not sleeping. And I'm not drugged. Oh, yes. You are? In the cigarette? No. In the drink you had with me. What was it? Morphine. You've had enough to put three men to sleep. That's it. Try to get up. I'll try. And I'll do it. You've knocked over the fire iron. You've been in the fire yourself if I hadn't caught you. Take your hands off me. Just as you please. If I could beat that bell, pull. Let's sit down again. You murdering lunatic. So that's how you killed the Bishop of Tours. And that's how you're going to kill me. Huh? You don't think I killed the Bishop of Tours? Didn't you? You young fool. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to save you. Dr. Solomon! Come out from behind that secret door. Come out and be my witness. I shall always guard the family honor, even when I guess how men die. This young man evidently thinks I've been talking about myself. Am I in the popular parlance mad? Oh, heaven forbid, monsieur. I have never known a saner man. Have you any notion, Mr. Whitefoot, why I brought you to this house? You would not have believed me if I had merely told you. So I had to bring you here and show you. Show me? What? <laughs> Come out from there, please. Come out! Eliana! Why have I kept Eliana so well guarded from the world? Why the fancy dress ball did I object to the costume of a medieval witch whose dogs were poisoned so that chloroform should be brought? Who poured you the drink drugged with morphine? The devil's name! What are you trying to tell me? Ileana, she has been hopelessly insane for more than ten years. <laughs> And so ends my story, The Sleep of Death, 
A tale which may give uneasy moments to those of you who may be inclined to fall in love at first sight. Next week I shall tell you a story that many of you have asked me to tell again. It's the adventure of an easygoing, straightforward New York detective who followed a beautiful murder suspect to Port Said, the crossroads of crime, and who learned that duels are still fought with swords as well as with 38. And so, next week, when I tell you this tale I call The Dancer from Stambul, will you join me, Dr. Fabian, here in my cabin B-13? From Cabin B-13, CBS has brought you another strange and sinister tale of mystery and murder, written by the world-famous best-selling author John Dixon Carr and directed by John Deese. Arnold Moss is featured as Dr. Fabian, and in tonight's drama, Cliff Carpenter appeared as Ned Whiteford, Janice Gilbert played Ileana, and Peter Capel appeared as Count Corey. The music for Cabin B-13 is especially composed and conducted by Alfredo Antonini. Join us again next week, same time, same station, for Dr. Fabian's tale, The Dancer from Stambul. Just for fun, make a New Year's resolution to keep on listening to CBS on Sunday nights next year. Otherwise, you'll miss all the fun Jack Benny brings for next Sunday, January 2nd. Marks the day Jack moves here to CBS with all his crew, Mary Livingston, Bill Harris, Rochester, all the rest. From next Sunday on, the Jack Benny Show will come to you exclusively over the CBS stations. The time, 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Well, that's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970 or look for me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. Again, this is Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>